Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you sent us your son. And Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you came to us, that you were willing to, to humble yourself, to experience life as we know it in the flesh. And we thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for setting your face towards Jerusalem, for being determined to go towards your death, for in your death we find life. And we pray that once again you would draw close to us, this time by your Holy Spirit, and that you would in this moment, Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our ears to see the Son crucified for us, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to save us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our lips, free them to shout Hosanna. Open our minds to see him and submit to him as King of Kings. And we pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that this would all be to your glory. That the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Amen. In case you missed it, today's Palm Sunday. And uh, Palm Sunday is a day of celebration. But why? The children wave their palm branches and they sing hallelujah, but why? The crowds on that first Palm Sunday shouted blessings, laid their coats on the road even, but why? What is it that we are celebrating this day? Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey? Why is that cause for such rejoicing? Surely other men had done the same. Yes, but this was no ordinary man. This was a son of David, a rightful heir to the throne of Israel. This was a king coming home to be crowned. And we will find out he was to be crowned not just as king of the Jews, but as the king of all people, the king of the world, which is why we celebrate Palm Sunday still today, despite the fact that none of us are Israelites by birth. The crowds on that first Palm Sunday, no doubt, had a, had a much narrower vision for the reign of Jesus. Some of them, no doubt, thought he was coming to Jerusalem to drive out the Romans, who had occupied that city for some time now. But regardless of the accuracy of their understanding, there's no question that they understood Jesus to be making a claim to kingship. The crowds understood this precisely because of the manner of Jesus' approach. He was intentionally mirroring a scene burned into the memory of every person lining the street that first Palm Sunday. And he did this in order to communicate to the crowds who he was and from them draw their praise. And their reaction proves his success. He had to say nothing. His actions spoke for him. And they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The scene Jesus was mirroring comes from our Old Testament passage this morning, from 2 Samuel 15, where David, the, the, the great king of Israel, is fleeing Jerusalem up the Mount of Olives. He's fleeing for his life because his own people, indeed his own flesh and blood, have betrayed him, turned on him. 
Absalom, his son, has staged a coup after laying the groundwork for four years. Earlier in the chapter, the narrator tells us that Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel from David. Uh, He was physically more impressive than David. The narrator of this story tells us in chapter 14 that in all Israel, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut his hair at the end of every year, the hair weighed five pounds. In other words, this was no zitty balding man with disproportionate features, right? This was a smooth skinned beauty with a full head of hair who rode around in a horse-drawn chariot while 50 men ran in front of him wherever he went, right? That's the description of, Sam, of, of Absalom. But Absalom was not just physically impressive. He was also very charismatic. He was compassionate, right? Absalom would, he would position himself in the city gate, the place where ancient people used to go to seek justice. It was like their courtroom. And he would sympathize with them. He would, he would hear their case and he would listen. And all the while he would point out that David had not appointed anyone to hear their cases. But Absalom was there. And he set himself up as this sympathetic judge. People began to come to the city gate just to visit him. And he greeted whoever came to him with a kiss. And with them he bemoaned David as this distant king who was out of touch with his people. And so Absalom, David's own flesh and blood, his son, stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Until one day he went to a neighboring city, to Hebron. And there he declared himself to be the rightful king. And at that point, David had no choice but to flee. The people's hearts were with him. His people had betrayed him. He had to leave. And 2 Samuel 15 recounts in painful detail this sorrowful retreat. Verse 30 says that David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. Both the people and Absalom thought they could do better than David. So they sent him packing, weeping as he went. Not everyone betrayed him, but enough had that the retreat was his only option. One of the people who hadn't betrayed David was this man who we were introduced to this morning. Ziba is his name. Ziba expressed his ongoing allegiance to David by bringing him food to eat, wine to drink, and donkeys to ride on. So there David was, at the top of the Mount of Olives, fleeing his own people and family on a donkey. Can you see it? David the king on a donkey, fleeing Jerusalem via the Mount of Olives. It was an image burned into the psyche of the Jewish people because it turned out to be a huge mistake, a smear on their history. The expulsion of David from Jerusalem was a humiliating event that documented the delusional spirit of rebellion that lived within his people. And his eventual return proved just how wrong they were about him. 
When David finally returned to Jerusalem after his exile, he did not come in judgment. He came in grace. And there's no greater illustration of this than a man named Shimei. In fact, you might even say that Shimei's personal story is representative of all of Israel. You see, Shimei had met David as he rode his donkey up the Mount of Olives in disgrace. And the story goes that Shimei personally escorted David out of Jerusalem by walking alongside him on a hillside opposite him, cursing him the entire time and throwing stones and handfuls of dirt at David. Get out, Shimei yelled. Get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. David's friends wanted to kill him then, but David wouldn't let them. And David's friends wanted to kill Shimei when David returned to Jerusalem as well, but again, David wouldn't let them. You see, when David was returning from his inglorious exile, Shimei ran to meet the king, and he fell down at his feet. Obviously, he had been wrong, and he now feared for his life. So he came begging for the king to have mercy on him. Shimei's tune was different this time. He begged, let not my Lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the king left. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. And again, David's friends wanted nothing of it. They begged David to let them put Shimei to death. But David had other plans. You see, he extended grace to Shimei. He told his men that no one was to be executed in Israel on the day of his return. And he asked them, do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? And with this rhetorical question, he was telling his soldiers that he did not feel the need to exact further vengeance on his people. Absalom was dead. He had died in a, in a battle trying to capture David after his retreat. And with the death of Absalom, David felt that justice had been satisfied. Someone had paid for the rebellion. No more blood needed to be shed to establish his reign now. He was free to be gracious. His position was secure. And out of that security, he offered pardons for people, even people like Shimei, who had cursed him and rejected him as king. The day the king returned was a glorious one. And it's this return, the return of David, that Jesus mirrors that first Palm Sunday in order to communicate who he was and what he intended to accomplish. All of the essential elements of David's story were recreated in Jesus's story. They're all there. A descendant of David riding on a donkey into Jerusalem via the Mount of Olives. The king was returning. And like David, he was returning full of grace. But if David's story and Jesus' story are running parallel to one another, the question is, what exile was Jesus returning from? What wrong had he suffered? Did Jesus have the equivalent of an Absalom or a Shimei in his story? Was there a coup against him, a rebellion? When we read the opening chapter of John's gospel, we learn that there was indeed a rebellion against Jesus. It turns out that Jesus suffered an ancient wrong way before David was even born. 
And that Jesus' Absalom, Jesus' Shimei, was you and me. Indeed, Jesus possesses many Absaloms, an entire race of them, of people who think they can do better than Jesus. See, John 1 says that everything came into being through Jesus. He was the word God spoke when he created the world. God spoke and Jesus, the word, made it reality. Nothing came into being apart from the work of Jesus. And yet, John tells us, the world did not recognize him. He, he, his own creation snubbed him. The people whom he brought into existence, his flesh and blood, us, we thought we could do better than him. And so it has been since the beginning of humanity that we have nurtured in our hearts the spirit of Absalom. We've set ourselves up as kings and queens, sought to make the world bend to our wills so that we might experience maximum comfort and pleasure. We've relied on our own beauty, intelligence, charisma to create meaningful, significant, important lives. But as was the case for Absalom, our rebellion leads only to disappointment and death because even the most beautiful people wrinkle and sag with age. The blossom of youth fades. Even the most intelligent people are betrayed by their minds. Even the most capable and athletic people experience a weakening and slowing down of their bodies. Even the most charismatic of people cannot keep up. And all the while there's the fear of coming across someone more, someone more beautiful, intelligent, athletic, funny, or engaging than you, what are you then? See, our attempts to find meaning apart from Jesus are as vain as weighing your hair after a haircut so that you can tell people it weighed five pounds. Well, good for you, but who are you when you go bald? Who are you when the thing you've turned to for significance is gone and in the process you've chased away the king who you demeaned as distant and out of touch? In our pursuit of glory, we chase away the king and the creator who alone can make us truly glorious. On Palm Sunday, Jesus rides down out of the Mount of Olives to show us that our true worth is in his love. We are glorious because he loves us. And he proves his love by coming to us full of grace, and issuing pardons to a people who have cursed him and who have personally rejected him and escorted him out of their lives. David was able to do the same only because Absalom had died and his death had satisfied the need, the need for justice. But Jesus desires not the death of a single Absalom in his life. He demands not your death or mine, Instead, he rolls into Jerusalem, offering pardons to his, his offenders in anticipation of his own death. He comes not because you were penitent or because you exhausted the need for justice through good works. No, he comes to make up in himself what is absent and lacking in you. He comes to satisfy the need for justice that our rebellion created by offering himself in our place. See, Jesus' life and death alone are sufficient to bring about satisfaction, justice for our wrongs. And even though he did no wrong, he was willing to die. 
so that we might live on in his mercy and love. It was love for you that motivated him in the final weeks of his life. And he loves you literally to death. He comes to extend forgiveness based on the satisfaction of his imminent death. He comes to make us glorious by his love and to give us rest from all our strivings for significance. We come to him and we say, let not my Lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the King left my heart. Do not let the King take it to heart for your servant knows that I have sinned. And Jesus extends to us blessing and grace. Not a one is to die on the day that he returns. Not a one is to die on this Palm Sunday. Coming down that hill towards us this Palm Sunday is our peace and our glory riding on a donkey. Therefore, we sing hallelujah. We shout blessings. We wave palm branches. We celebrate this day because it is the only appropriate way to receive our King coming to crown us with glory and love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.